Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I'm your host, Andy Storch, and I'm excited that you're joining me today for an interview with my friend Shannon Minifee. And Shannon's career began in academia, a pursuit driven by her desire to be a part of conversations she thinks are important. In 2016, she embarked on a new path, starting a career in corporate learning and development. She brings to her role more than a decade of experience in education and in practicing intensive, incisive investigation. She encourages in her team an enthusiastic discernment that brings a depth of thinking to bear on everything she does as CEO of Box of Crayons. Shannon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andy. That's a mouthful of an introduction. I'm sorry for that. And it is intense sometimes. (laughs) There's some big words in there, but I like it. Um, (laughs) So great to connect with you. We were chatting before and I mentioned that, you know, of course, I've known Michael Bungay Stanier for some time, the founder of Box of Crayons, and he spoke at our conference that I hosted back in January 2020, the Talent Development Think Tank, and has been on the podcast a couple times after both of his books. But I remember when he told me about you and how he found you and brought you onto the team and how you rose so quickly to become CEO. And uh, I'd love to hear that story and and share it with our audience. Yeah, it's a good story for talent developers because it's an unusual recruitment strategy for sure. And we've, we've made some changes to our recruiting since. But basically, yeah, I've been working in learning and development for just about five years now only. So I'm relatively new to corporate learning. But as, as you said, I've spent a long time in school in education before I got here teaching literature. So my path into this space was through book publicity initially. So I came on at Box of Crayons to help with a little book you might've heard of, The Coaching Habit, and that was then just launching. And at that time I was writing my dissertation and I was teaching adjunct at Queens where I was doing my doctorate. I was working part-time at a small literary publishing house here in Toronto. And I was working one night a week at a little place in my neighborhood, a little uh, wine and pizza bar in my neighborhood, which also it turned out was Michael Bungay-Stanier's neighborhood. So I met Michael and Marcella Bungay-Stanier, the owners of Box of Crayons there over the bar 
and somewhere between comparing notes on literature because they're both MPhils as well and wine, I picked up a third part-time job while wrapping up graduate school. So that was in 2015. And they said, why don't you just come over? You know, we own this company, you know, something about book publicity, it's five or 10 hours a week, you know, emailing and and trying to get some coverage of this little book. And that's a great little part-time job for you to pick up. So I did that. And uh, the success of the coaching habit book really changed the company. And in the years that followed, we transformed from basically a solopreneurship with a handful of contract staff supporting a thought leader to a company of about 20 full-time employees and two dozen contract facilitators delivering our programs globally. And within that first year, I moved from publicity over to sales, which was an interesting transition in itself. I was like, I don't know anything about sales (laughs) except like death of a salesman. And I failed all of the like assessments that I went through about, will this person be good at sales? And I took the plunge anyway, in no small part, because Michael is really great at identifying people's learning edge and just sort of pushing them off of that and daring them to try brand new things. So I became the first sales leader in our growing sales organization. And then in July of 2019, at which time I was the head of sales with the team, Michael stepped away from running the business and I replaced him as CEO. That's amazing. Yeah. That's a great story because you had this confluence of experience that was perfect for them at the time but still willing to take on that role and then come in and get uncomfortable and try new things. And you're right, this little book called The Coaching Habit, which Michael self-published and has now sold close to a million copies. It's like the gold standard. And actually, I told him when I published my first book in November, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, I constantly would pick up The Coaching Habit and look at it and say, what did he do to make this book so great? This is kind of my guiding light you know, as I follow that. Same with marketing and publicity too. So I'd love to talk to you more about that, but we won't make this show about publicity. We'll talk about learning and development. Um, Sure. And on that point though, Michael wrote a little article about how he went about the publication of that book and his strategy. So if you haven't seen it, I'll share it later. Okay, cool. I'll have to grab that and we'll we'll link to it in the notes. Um, You mentioned something in there that Michael is really good at identifying someone's learning edge and pushing them off. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, he's just really good at, like, he holds things really lightly. Like, he's just not too worried about things breaking. Like, he's not worried about people making mistakes as they try new things. One of the most impactful, memorable things he ever said to me, I remember, and it's very different from sort of the way I was raised, was we were talking about, I was on the road a lot, all the time when I was selling. And he, you know, asked about, having some spacious time away from the family. I had a a small baby at the time. And, you know, was I getting some R&R in the hotel rooms and that? And I was like, no, I mean, I'm alone. There's no distractions. I've got to just do so much more work. I can't waste the opportunity. And he's like, Shannon, please waste the opportunity. (laughs) Um, So he's very about like, yeah, imagine your boss telling you, waste the opportunity, like relax. So he's, he's good at thinking about like holding all together Where is the edge that's going to keep somebody really interested and engaged? How do we make sure that who they are as a person and their life is still primary so that they don't hit burnout? And he's good at identifying things that people, like where their superpowers are. and Yeah, something you may not necessarily know you're really good at, but he sees an opportunity there. And if you just get a little bit uncomfortable and he pushes you off, then you'll be able to learn 
grow so much more. Yeah. He just doesn't hold on to things all that tightly, which is amazing. And it's been part of why the transition as a first time at CEO to the founder has gone well. Yeah, that's fantastic. It also reminds me of something I've taught a little bit about delegation in leadership development programs and the kind of this magical area when it comes to delegation of stretch uh, versus comfort, right? And if people are too comfortable, they get bored, right? And if you stretch people too much, they might get completely anxious and leave. But people do want to be stretched a little bit. You do want to be able to try new things, try hard things, and have a little bit of you know wiggle room to be able to make mistakes and fail because that's how we learn and grow. And it sounds like that, you know, you work in a culture that provides that, which is not all that common, which is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, we try really, really hard. It's what we teach in our programs, right? With the organizations we partner with is coach-like curiosity. So Michael definitely models that, you know, harnesses coach-like curiosity as a form of delegation, right? Like what we say, be lazy as the first behavior around being coach-like. So, you know, just standing back and letting other people try their hand at things and not assuming where people, where their challenges are or, or where they want to go, but asking them the question instead is a big part of how he leads and how we try to lead at Box of Crayons as well. What have you learned going from academia to corporate? Yeah, what do I learn? So probably the thing that helped me the most was like the thing you're trying to crack when you're analyzing a text is how the signification works, right? Like you're trying to crack a language game, like a novel in its own way or a piece of writing is its own language game or set of signifiers. And so when I came over to the corporate world, I was like, oh, there's so many forms of jargon going on that I do not understand. <laughs> like everything has an acronym. I didn't understand anything about the corporate world. I didn't understand anything about learning and development. I didn't know what people in learning and development thought about or cared about or did all day. So there were so many different aspects of our client and the space that we existed in that I had to learn. But because I'm pretty good at finding my entryway through recognizing patterns in language. I think that helped me to learn quickly. It took me a while to sort of not have like a white knuckle grip on just on everything that I was doing. Like where I come from, you don't stand up and share an idea until that idea is like just so solid, (laughs) you know? And so you go and you research something for five or 10 years, and then you get to open your mouth and share that idea. And so I remember Michael saying to me like, Hey, it's just a lot more chilled out (laughs) in the corporate world. uh, So you can relax a little bit. So that was an interesting learning moment for me. That's a big one. And especially because one of the things I wanted to talk about with you today is this idea of, you know, creating innovation, culture of innovation. And um, it's huge when you're able to bring up ideas and like toss ideas back and forth and have conversations and not worry about people judging you or saying like, oh, that's not fully baked or that's not perfect. Whereas you're saying a lot of times in the academia world and even in a lot of big companies, you don't even bring things up unless it's completely thought through. And then it might be far down the line. Yeah, absolutely. And we're learning, you know, even inside our own company that like you need to have a degree of psychological safety there for people to feel like they can bring up, as you say, like a half-baked idea. Like, are they able to share something without getting criticized for it? Absolutely. I think that's such a key to innovation. All right. So we wanted to talk about curiosity. And one of the things you do at Box of Crayons is help organizations move from advice to curiosity driven. So 
Tell me more about what that means. Yeah. So what we mean when we talk about moving from advice-driven to curiosity-led is that what we've been seeing and hearing from our clients for years as we've been delivering programs around helping people to become more coach-like is that when they've got managers and leaders in the organization that are too quick to jump in and give advice, too quick to take control, that basically they're not open to new and different perspectives as a result. They disengage the people they lead. They become overwhelmed because they are overreaching in the work that they're doing. So when we talk about trying to transition people from being advice-driven to curiosity-led, we want them to approach all of the work that they do from this place of openly embracing the unknown and giving up their own control, which is really hard work to give up to give up control as a leader, as a person. We want them to be open to new and different perspectives. And we want them to have a culture that is truly a learning culture. So that means you have to be able to tolerate failure as you learn along the way. Absolutely. Makes sense. And there's so much more we were already talking before uh, that we can accomplish and it changes everything when you go from advice to curiosity driven. So let's talk about framing curiosity. And you were saying before we were talking that there's a lot of implications to that, that organizations or people that come from a kind of a traditional approach tend to feel like there's implications or that it's kind of soft to be curious or empathetic. Um, So is that a challenge that a lot of organizations deal with? I think so. I mean, we anticipate that it might be difficult to sort of build a business case around what you need to do is be curious. That's the answer. And that's going to solve the problem. And I suspect that a lot of organizations haven't actually sat around and thought about the ways in which a failure of curiosity So of giving up power and of being open to new perspectives and of being a true learning culture are inhibiting like their ability to grow and be innovative. And it does sort of feel a bit like, yeah, be curious. Sure. It sounds sort of whimsical. And so we've taken to calling that kind of curiosity a troublemaker tendency. So one that is fueled by mischief and sparked by prohibition. So Andy, you were talking before, we both have young children So in some ways, it's the kind of curiosity you associate with that kind of mischief making. And, you know, I just want to go off and investigate this thing, at least in part because I've been told not to do it. (laughs) And so the work of Francesca Gino and some others shows that there's some senior leaders and organizations who, on the one hand, sort of espouse curiosity as something that they can get behind as a behavior. Sure, yeah, no one's going to say they're against it. But on the other hand, they're a little anxious about you know, openly inviting people to go and be curious over here. And I think that part of the challenge there is actually separating out, you know, curiosity as a sort of thing you're going to go over and do here for, say, 20% time versus a way of being with each other in general. And so we've been calling this other way of being curious changemaker curiosity. And so that is, you know, how can you find every interaction you have with people as a chance to be more coach-like and give up some of your power and let them stake some more territory? How can every conversation be a chance to hold that asking great questions is going to be better probably than finding good answers? And so if you can find a way to, you know, get those curious practices into all the interactions that people are having, it's not going to be stigmatized from how things get done over here. (laughs) And it's going to be a more natural and habitual part of how people show up. Right. Yeah. It changes everything. So you're talking about really making curiosity 
part of the culture, really a, a way of being the change maker curiosity. One of the things that I've noticed in my work with managers over the years running a lot of leadership development programs is that lately, especially, I feel like there's this stigma with a lot of managers when people become managers and the more senior they get, they feel like there's pressure to be the smartest person in the room. Like people are going to be looking to them to have all the answers and therefore they've got to have answers. They've got to have advice. They've got to be able to tell people what to do or know everything that's going on to the extent that many often become micromanagers with everybody, which everybody hates working for, right? But you know, why do you think people feel such pressure? And you know, the other side, for a lot of those managers, you just said, no, just be curious, just ask questions would probably make people very uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, like the way that we talk about this in our programs, like we address this head on. So we call this the advice monster. So what you're talking about, this, this instinct to, to want to jump in. And yeah, it's absolutely because people feel pressure to perform. They feel like part of their seniority means they have to have the answers. That becomes particularly difficult when people inherit a team or they find themselves leading work they can't themselves do. Because there's kind of two sides to it, right? There's technical leaders who are leading folks whose work they are capable of doing themselves. And then that's a different kind of advice monster that shows up. That's like, look, I actually know how to do your job. So I just want to tell you how I think you should do it. And then if you're leading work that you yourself can't do, like you don't know what, what the work is inside the work, you can still feel this pressure to somehow know all the answers when there's no way on earth you could. Like your role in that case is to ask the questions that help those individuals get clear on where their challenges are and then to remove obstacles and barriers for them. Yes, yes, I agree so much. I've been having a lot of conversations with people about this. And I agree, like there is that pressure and it could be uncomfortable, but you can get so much more done when you're focused on empowering people around you to get things done, which I think is the true role of a leader is to empower the people around them to get things done versus, you know, just trying to prop your own stuff up. And this idea that you mentioned the couple different categories, but one of them being, I know how to do your job and let me tell you how to do it. I've run many, many workshops as you have as well. I've surveyed a lot of participants about the things that they love and hate about their managers. The number one thing that people hate about bad managers is micromanaging. Um, and yet people continue to do it. So I see that as all being related to what we're talking about here. Do you help managers get past that and stop micromanaging so much? Yeah. So what we are trying to do is, so we've got to help them so our programs basically have two parts to them. So we're about having them get bought in on the mindset shift that needs to take place around how being more curious and coach-like is going to help me and help the people that I lead or that I work with. And then after that, it's about you know just the capabilities application. So we're really talking about the first part. So how do you get them to get past thinking that the way that they add value is to tell people how to do their job? So we basically show them that the price that they pay for wanting to jump in and give advice. And so they see that it's the thing that keeps them overwhelmed. They see that it's the thing that keeps their team disengaged. They see that it's the thing that keeps them disconnected from the work that they showed up to do. And so when people kind of see, oh, okay, jumping in and giving advice isn't serving me and it's not helping me grow the people around me, that's the sort of like gut level, okay, I, I can see why I would want to do things differently that helps people on the road to, to actually changing their behavior. So I'm curious how you guys at Box of Crayons pivoted 
through COVID, you mentioned you were traveling a lot. I know that uh, Box Crayon is running a lot of in-person workshops like I was as well uh, before COVID hit. And we're, as you and I record, this has been about a year since that everything kind of shut down. And I would imagine you've made the move to virtual. You also told me before that you kind of switched from this strategy of 10-minute manager coaching to more of the culture of curiosity. Can you tell me more about some of the pivots that you guys have made? Yeah, absolutely. So the COVID one, I'll take first. So yes, most of our work was delivering live programs before COVID hit. And so really quickly between March and May of last year, redid all of our programs to be a virtual delivery, which was not for us a matter of copy and paste of what the live experience is to the virtual one. But there's, you know, different sorts of, you know, and our head of learning could come on and talk about these things uh, more eloquently than I can. But there's different strategies that we are trying to deploy uh, or engage with people when we're delivering programs in a virtual setting rather than in the live setting. So they are shorter and we're having people do a lot of practice offline rather than sitting and doing the deep practice when they're in the session. So there's a lot of good and interesting experimentation as we were iterating on how we move that from live to virtual back in the spring of last year. And we had some great clients that hung in there with us willing to try that, you know, what's too long, what's too short. And so that was a fantastic experience. We've also been working with Microsoft for the last couple of years. They license our IP for a digital MOOC that we built with them. So our key client there, Andrea Wannerstrand, was the lead instructional designer and Michael, our founder, was the, the talent. And they built a digital program for their whole organization, starting with their global sales and managers. And, and so that was our first foray into a real digital offering. And we have since built our own version of that, which we are working on getting into the market sometime in the spring or summer of this year. So that's the sort of pivot from live to virtual and digital. And then the other pivot you talked about, I guess it's not really a pivot, but one of the things that we did was historically, so we're an almost 20 year old company. So it's our 19 year anniversary this summer. And our focus historically has been really on manager coaching. So can you coach in 10 minutes or less? And that was really about, you know, getting over the obstacle of, I don't have time to coach. I'm a busy, busy manager. And we sat down and with Michael leaving, running the company day to day, we wanted to have a way for Box of Crayons to live on and well beyond Michael being the only person who is creating content at Box of Crayons. And the key behavior that we're driving in our coaching programs is being curious. So when we talk about coach-like curiosity, it's the ability to slow down the rush to action and stay curious longer. And we realized as we sat down that actually the broader umbrella of what we're trying to unleash in organizations is just this ability to be curious. And there's a lot of different kinds of capacities that show up once you start talking about curiosity. And the coach-like curiosity really honed in on driving accountability and creating autonomy for the people that you lead in giving up your own power and all of those things and, and driving performance and engagement that way. But organizations also come to us wanting to build connection and the empathy that is built in folks that are more curious uh, shows up there. And also a lot of our clients that we work with are looking to find ways to really cement a learning culture. And you can say you have a learning culture, but unless people actually exhibit behaviors like, you know, being open to people trying and failing and asking questions of the process, like, okay, what went wrong there? You know, no one's blaming anybody here, but let's be really curious about this process that we just did and what we learned. That shows up as another way to think about curiosity as driving learning. 
I love that. I'm big on creating a culture of empathy and learning. I think those are such important factors. And you talk about that. And when this idea of empathy comes up, I know the importance of it, um, but it's still kind of one of those quote soft skills, what Josh Burson now calls power skills that are, you know, data, right? Showing that this can help you get a lot more done and is useful. But do you get pushback on that? Like, ah, we don't care about empathy. We just want, you know, profits or clients pretty much completely on board and see the value there. No, yeah, no, no, no. We don't get pushback. At least like clients that are coming to us, they're needing empathic leaders. Like the events of the last year have meant that their senior leaders are scared of saying and doing the wrong thing. They're aware of the limitations of their own experience and point of view. And so they're wanting, they're responding to an ask for help from senior leaders in their organization. They're also, you know, like recalibrating or reassessing their whole program, a whole catalog of programs to make sure that they're not inadvertently racist or part of systemic injustice. And they are absolutely looking for ways to make people more empathic in their organization. And we don't do strict DEI or unconscious bias training at all. But something we've heard from our clients that are already running our programs is the way in which they're pointing out to people that, hey, we're helping people become more curious, which is all about inhabiting somebody else's perspective or holding space for a different experience. And it's also an antidote to assuming things about other people, being curious is. And so they're noticing the way in which that builds a sort of foundational starting point for being more empathic, which helps people to be more inclusive. And that is absolutely needed right now. And I think people are finally seeing that. So not too much convincing. I think Jennifer Brown said that on your show kind of recently, you know, she's like, their phone's ringing off the hook. Yeah, right. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, you mentioned the events of the last year and obviously a lot changed with the rise of the social justice movement, which started in May, 2020. And, you know, companies trying to pivot and figure out, okay, how do we address this? How do we create a culture that is more diverse, equitable, inclusive, empathic. I like that you brought that up and you know where people feel like they're included and they belong. And I feel like a lot of that starts with curiosity, right? It's empathy. It's trying to understand other people's points of view. I think a lot of us have tried to do that throughout this period to become better allies and help be part of the solution. But I think if you know everybody led with curiosity and empathy, we wouldn't be in this situation in the first place, right? Because we would understand people's perspectives instead of leading with fear and like you said, making assumptions, which gets everybody in trouble. So I can see making this move to a culture of curiosity and empathy and really trying to understand others' points of view before making any type of assumption or decision or movement or even opening your mouth could help change a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the things I love about the nuance of curiosity. And, you know, we haven't built out this pillar of programs around this like this particular framing yet, but it's part of what we're working on. But I love, you know, one of the nuances of it is that it's not just about posing questions to others, but it's about crucially about asking questions of yourself, right? So being curious about why you think the way you do and what underlies your thinking and motivates your behaviors. And it's, you know, like you said, if we all just start from a point of curiosity, like I think that's completely right. Curiosity is distinct from other forms of knowledge seeking, which can be about closure, about finality, right? Or even like possession. And curiosity is notably open. It's wondrous even. There's a study that the emotional signatures of curiosity are awe and wonder. So it's a very open way of countenancing something you don't know anything about that doesn't seek to own or control 
what you encounter. Shannon, when you are in a position where you are developing talent internally, you're also working with a lot of clients on developing talent. What are some trends, like one or two big trends you're seeing in terms of talent development these days? Yeah, well, we've just kind of talked about one for sure. So DEI is definitely one. And, you know, just more generally to organizations coming to us, looking to develop leaders who are, you know, kind of just more courageous. So they are inclusive, they give feedback, they coach well, they have the sort of confidence and humility to stay curious when they need to. And those are all things we're trying to do ourselves as a culture at Box of Crayons as well, so that we're walking the walk. But, you know, these organizations, when they come to us looking for that, are looking to foster the exchange of voices and ideas kind of at every level. And they see that as key to inclusion and engagement, but also to, you know, the kind of sharing of ideas that can drive innovation and help them stay more competitive. So that's one of the key trends we've been seeing lately. We've also had, I think certainly with, like people have decreased bandwidth right now. Everyone's working from their home. So where they like live and work and do everything is all in one place. And while you would have thought that that had cut down on the commute and freed up a bunch of time for people, actually people feel like everything's encroached upon. So, you know, us at Box of Crayons, one of the things we've been trying to do to combat that kind of burnout is to continue to take things off the table. So like, what's the critical challenge? Like the one thing that will have the most impact. And we are seeing that as well with clients coming to us wanting to find a way to help leaders and individuals focus on the critical few. So how can they be strategic? I mean, if part of strategy is deciding what you're saying no to and not just what you're saying yes to, how do you continue to take things off the table? And so they see our programs and coach like curiosity as an approach to that as a way of helping them deselect from the work that has less impact and the work that people do not, the extra noise that people don't have bandwidth for, especially right now. Yeah. Well, I think one of the top things that I hear about in the talent development community these days is how do we help our people avoid burnout? Because just working all the time, engagement and productivity are up, you know, with people working from home, but there's so many things going on with kids. And the fact that that computer is just always right there, like, oh, I can always do a little bit more work. I can get this done. I can get that done, you know, have dinner with the family and go back to work, not really taking vacation. So uh, we've got to find ways to combat that and help people with wellness and, you know, figure out how to take breaks and do other things besides working all the time. Yeah. And we've been doing as much as we can around that at our company. So again, we're only 20 full-time employees. We have a lot of parents and it's not just parents. That's an added logistical part of things. But when virtual schooling happened, like was mandated here, basically just after the holidays, after the winter holidays, it was like a breaking point. So it became kind of a crisis for people. And we introduced what we're calling winter Fridays. So in the spring and summer months, we have something called summer Fridays where we have a four day work week. And the idea is not to cram five days of work into four days, but rather what is what are the critical few? And we did that in the winter as well. And that came like when my chief of staff brought that to me as a suggestion, I just said yes so fast. And when we shared it on a leadership team meeting, we had people that were so stressed out that they couldn't even talk or they might cry because of what was going on in the background as they're trying to work. And so having that a bit of extra space of a day with no meetings, just even like mentally having that off of the weekly calendar was huge. So we've, and we've been pushing out, you know, wellness Wednesday things and inviting people to do co-working sessions and listen to music together and just constantly checking in with people and asking how they're doing and asking what they need. 
rather than assuming what that is. Flexibility around work hours, all of those kinds of things. Hey, you're uh, eating your own dog food, drinking your own champagne, leading with curiosity, right? Asking what they need. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, yeah, we're little. It's, it's a little bit easier. <laughs> right. Us, but yeah. But still asking what they need before making any assumptions. I love that. Yeah, Shannon, is there a book that you often recommend or that has helped you in your journey of, you know, building a culture and talent development uh, besides those from Michael that we've already talked about? Yeah, I think um, a really helpful book that I read this past year was Aaron Dignan's book, Brave New Work. Um, I, I don't know if you're familiar with it or not. So he runs a firm called The Ready. And yeah, so his book, Brave New Work is amazing. So he looks at, I don't want to mess up what he calls things. So basically he looks at the operating systems of a, what he calls the operating systems of a company. So all the ways that people connect and do work. And it is not for companies that are actually necessarily autonomous and have no hierarchy, but it seems mostly aimed at big companies that have a really like cemented, historical, institutionalized way of doing things that's just no longer working for them. And so how do you get under the hood of all of the ways that people work? What are your meeting structures like? How are decisions made and all those kinds of things? I read that book back in the summertime because I went out on maternity leave in September and I'm actually just coming at the end of my maternity leave now. And so I have an almost six month old and I read his book because I was looking for help in how is, if the senior leadership team is a bit of a construct in terms of, you know, these are the people that have accountability, how do I push out accountability and autonomy, especially in the time that I'm gone? so that I can just check in with my team and make decisions or weigh in when I'm needed, but mostly the company can run on its own, which is what I should be striving for anyway, but the maternity leave became a real test of that. And Dignan's book in particular, his approach to thinking about what he calls integrative decision-making. So how you use an advice and consent process and acknowledgement of one another's roles and expertise in order to make decisions together and have alignment was huge. And we also did a whole overhaul of our meeting structure and thinking about how we communicate in the most useful ways all out of that book. So I would recommend it a lot. Aaron Dignan's Brave New Work. Brave New Work by Aaron Dignan. Cool. I just added it to my reading list. I'll have to check that out. Shannon, last question for you. Uh, for anyone working in talent development or anywhere, I was looking for ways to accelerate their career success. What's one more piece of advice you would give? Looking to, <laughs> to get a part-time job at a bar. <laughs> get a part-time job at a wine bar, meet some founders. And, I'm yeah. just kidding. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. Um, so I attended a, I'm part of a women's leadership group. And recently we had the privilege of having Stacey Abrams come on and do like run a Q&A for us, which was awesome. And she spoke these words, which I are perfectly aligned to what we do, but they're important here. So she said, in response to a question about like, how can women in particular, but I think this is true of any leader, like step up and get involved. She said, we have to stop waiting to be perfect. And we need to start wanting to be curious. The best leaders are curious about where the problems are. So I think I would take Stacy's words and make that my advice. So stop waiting to be perfect. <laughs> And just start being curious about where the problems are. And that's how you'll make a difference. Because no matter what the challenges are, they're going to end up being, they're people challenges. All challenges in business are people challenges, I think. I love it. And I think it's perfect that we ended this interview with your piece of career advice being to be curious, uh, which I think is an important characteristic of a leader. 
and uh, will take people far. And of course, uh, great for cultures as well. Shannon, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for making the time to come share with us on the podcast. For anybody that maybe wants to connect with you or find out more about Box of Crayons, where should they go? Yeah, they should just go to boxofcrayons.com. And thank you so much, Andy. This has been great. You're welcome. All right, boxofcrayons.com. Yeah, this has been fantastic. So much great information here. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much again, and uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again and take care.